welcome to this episode of Life in Low Code, where today we're going to talk all things health with regards to low code and RPA. Joining me today is Claire Rafferty, our very own expert, I can say that, in automation for the health industry. And also Claire heads up our business development and partnership. So welcome, Claire. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so firstly, I can tell that you're really passionate about all things health. So can you just tell me a bit about how that came about, I guess? Yeah, I mean, it happened sort of over time, I think. I knew I wanted to work in uh, sort of cutting edge technology, but equally um, wanted it to be making a real difference um, and started working in uh, public sector and then got more involved in healthcare and got really sort of passionate about the difference that the emerging technology could make um, in the healthcare market and to the patient's experience in general. And over the years, the the technology has changed to make more and more things possible. So um, it's really rewarding to be able to see the difference it's making to the NHS Trust, but also to the patient themselves. Yeah. And I guess particularly at the moment, I mean, You know, we can see there's so many challenges facing the NHS, not only in the last 18 months, but, you know, before that. I mean, what do you see are the sort of key challenges that really they are facing at the moment? I mean, obviously, COVID is the main one, but I guess in your words and you being at the coalface, speaking to customers. I think there's a lot of sort of big organisational changes going on, which I think leads to quite a lot of different facets of challenges because there's organisational challenges around bringing organisations together under an ICS and trying to unify processes and what that looks like. But equally within that, you've got a really complex technology estate that has loads of different systems. I mean, each individual trust we talk to will generally have, you know, three, four hundred different legacy systems that all have different levels of interoperability. And then now we're adding into the mix, trying to join up um, with different organisations across regions, all with different levels of digital maturity and being at different stages of their digital transformation journey. So I think it's a really exciting time, but also a really challenging time for working within what good looks like to get to the um, end goal of having everything unified across an area. Yeah, I think, as you say, it's, it sounds such a big challenge. I mean, in terms of the different systems that aren't talking to each other. I mean, and you talk about hundreds of them. I mean, how do you even start with something like that in terms of trying to break that down? Well, I think a good starting point is actually realising that there's not a, a lack of information about patients. So in in some industries, the problem is having lack of information about the people they're trying to serve. But in the NHS, there's a lot of information about patients, but sitting across multiple different systems. So I think by looking at the outcomes that you're trying to achieve and then working out where that data is and, and what needs to happen to it to make it usable within processes, you can start mapping out those sort of end-to-end processes and working from the outcomes you want and then working backwards from the technology as opposed to starting maybe with looking at a sort of individual point problems and going right we can buy a bit of tech to fix this or we can buy a bit of tech to fix this it's looking at actually what's the total journey do you already have that information and and can you expose it and then how do you make that usable for the rest of the organization basically I guess having the right information in the right hands at the right time yeah and I guess it sounds uh, simple but probably definitely um, not so, I think. It's Yeah, incredi- incredibly complex, I think. And then a lot of different um, stakeholders who quite rightly will all have their individual agendas. They need to make sure it's right for their individual service areas, which, which can also be um, a challenge. Yeah, and I guess there's also the balance of trying to address the short-term needs versus the long, long-term 
goals because obviously you know things change and you have to react to them from a you know reactive point of view like COVID but there's also that long-term aim you know the 10-year plan things like that so it, it must be a challenge just just with that really. Absolutely. And like you say, with 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 COVID, there's so many immediate challenges that I think, you know, taking a step back and looking at that longer term view can be really difficult because there's some very immediate, very real uh, challenges to be dealt with today. So I think that is a, a really difficult thing. But equally, I think we're seeing amazing strides having been made you know the speed of change and um digital transformation through covid was was incredibly inspiring and some amazing things have been achieved so i think almost it's quite i think the industry is quite excited about mm. sort of that it's proven that some of these things are possible and actually going well how do we keep that momentum going to keep making those really major changes yeah absolutely i think we should be all proud of the nhs for the last sort of 18 months or so I know also you've got quite, a, you know, an interest in mental health care planning and how you know, over time we want to sort of look to streamline and, and maybe even optimise that in some way. Can you tell us a bit about, about that? Yeah, so I, I think it's a, a really interesting area and um, care planning is really complex and there's a lot of sort of organisational requirements around it, which sometimes make the process slightly impersonal to the to the patient. And it becomes almost more about what the system needs and information and targets and all of that kind of thing, rather than really being able to focus on patient care. And again, that's not through a lack of willing at all, because that's obviously why everybody's in that kind of um profession but so it's looking at actually is there a way that technology can help by streamlining the process you know automatically doing some of that care planning process for them and making sure all of the organizational requirements are handled but allowing them more time to spend actually on the patient care rather than doing the administration around that patient care yeah and you hear that a lot I think don't you particularly just in the NHS across the board really um, you know, you want to get people to be, you know, looking after the patients rather than the admin. You know, that, that's what you want them to focus on, that patient, rather than sort of sometimes a box ticking exercise, perhaps. Absolutely. And I think it feeds back into, again, then the numerous systems because, you know, a new a new target or a new thing that needs to be worked on comes out. And so a new piece of technology gets put in to do that. But actually, that's another system that needs to be administered and needs information put in. So, you know, we'll, we'll talk to um, clinicians and um, back office staff who are saying, you know, I have to enter the same bit of information into four, five, six different systems. And, you know, in this day and age of tech, that's just not good enough, really. And I think, um, you know, that we need to be able to help the NHS with, with, with tools to make that a lot easier. Would you say the NHS is sort of behind in terms of the commercial space? Because obviously they've got so much to do and, and, and but big budgets, but it does seem that sometimes they're playing catch up with the commercial world. Do you have a sense around that? It's a really interesting one because I think it can almost be argued in um, in both ways. So in some ways, mm. if you look at some of the technology in the NHS, I mean, it's cutting edge and it's incredible and the advances being made, you know, if you move away from software into, you know, medical equipment and things like that, some really cutting edge things happening in the NHS as a, as a whole. But I think the problem is how big the organisations are and how much legacy has gone before. So the actual infrastructure that's in place and so the ability to do things. So I don't think it's often attitudinal or a lack of willingness or a lack of forward thinking within the um, industry, because I think that, you know, it is really people are really wanting to push things forward. But sometimes they're a bit, their hands are kind of strapped Tied. by what they have um, at their disposal. 
Yeah. And I think you can see the NHS can be so agile in so many ways, I think, on the front line. Um, but yes, as you say, in the in the back office, it's, it, I guess, just from its sheer size and, as you say, legacy frameworks, it just can't be as, as agile, maybe. I, guess, and I think um, people are also sort of used to putting up with that, as it were. Again, because uh, people t- tend to be very altruistic working in the industry, they'll put up with a process that maybe isn't perfect. And whereas it should be automated, they'll, you know, they'll uh, create spreadsheets to fill the gaps where there aren't systems there whereas I think in maybe some other industries people would say no this doesn't this this doesn't work Mm. we need to do something different whereas because the outcome is providing good patient care I think everybody involved will just um, just get on and make it happen. Absolutely I think that's a really good point. Okay, so we can see, obviously, um, there's lots of challenges within the NHS in terms of, as you talked about, the legacy um, systems and just lots and lots of um, different systems not talking to each other. So I guess, can you explain to us what actually low code and RPA is and how that can help, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. So we refer to it as our intelligent automation suite. And what that means is that rather than introducing off-the-shelf solutions for all, all problems, it allows you to build out your processes using automation technologies to bring together that end-to-end um, situation. So we often think of it as uh, as Lego. So your existing systems will um, be all your Lego bricks that you already have in place. And they're all doing the job for what they've been bought to do. But between them, there are gaps that get left when the Lego bricks haven't quite been put in a line. And it's in those gaps that all the sort of um, manual workaround processes type happening. So what the platform allows you to do is to take a step back and look at, right, what are we trying to achieve? And actually, if there's information in system A, for example, that needs to be in system B, then you can start plugging those gaps and joining that data together. Now, that then means you have data that's usable. So you might have all that information about that patient then. And then you can start using that to build out processes that are very specific to your own um, organisation, but also very easy to change over time. So traditionally, the two options you'd have when looking at um, a a new project would be to buy an off-the-shelf solution to meet that need and that option tends to be quite quick and it will meet most of your requirements say like 80% of your um, requirements which sometimes is is good enough but again there'll be bits that are missing that then lead to workaround processes. The other option traditionally would be to hand code a solution. Um, It takes a lot longer very reliant on the person who's coded it and also you know if you look through COVID times the minute it's written the requirements would have changed and it needs to be able to move on so low code is sort of best of both worlds those situations so you can build something to your exact requirements you don't have to be um, a coder you just have to be sort of business and process minded and basically be able to describe the process if you can tell us the process it can be built and it allows you to then tailor everything and pull together all the different bits of your organisation so that instead of having your disparate Lego bricks all in different places, you create a big cube where all of the data is is usable and you've got a complete technology estate. Okay, so you can sort of build, if you like, a bespoke application quite quickly without having to use costly developers. Exactly. So I guess a good example would be uh, we worked with University Hospital Southampton to develop a, a waiting list application to help them validate um, who was on the waiting list um, digitally. And that solution was was built in five days. So it's a much faster way of being able to create things and address problems as they appear. Yeah, that's amazing. Five days turnaround. And, and I guess particularly at the moment, things like that have to happen in, in that time frame. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's a good example of where the need couldn't have been predicted. So some systems when you're buying them, you know, you, it, it's strategic and you can see that in you're going to need to buy a new PaaS system, for example, and you can plan for that and make sure you've got your requirements spec sorted. And th- there are systems that obviously exist to do that. But through COVID, we've seen that actually a lot of the requirements that are coming up obviously weren't predicted at all. So, the, you know, there weren't solutions just there ready to go. So everybody had to find ways to be able to create solutions very, very quickly. And Locode is one of the tools that can help you do that. OK, great. And um, I guess when we talk about our Locode and RPA offering, we, we're call, calling it Liberty Automation for Health as our overall offering. So we've talked a bit about Locode, but in terms of RPA sitting alongside the the low code. Can you talk to us a bit about that? Yeah, so RPA is obviously a really um, useful tool and um, it's being used quite widely in the NHS now. And it allows you to um, automate any sort of routine and mundane tasks that a human being is doing, but where they don't need to. And it can take that um, job away. And particularly in the NHS, it's so powerful because, like we said, if you were buying a new system now, it would have lovely APIs and everything would talk beautifully together. And sometimes RPA might not be necessary. But what it allows you to do is get into those legacy systems and get the information you need out when it might not be possible to get to it any other way. So by the two things sitting side by side with RPA and low code, it means you can address all of those automation requirements because you can do those routine mundane tasks using RPA. And then when you're getting into more complex process redesign and digital transformation and building whole applications, you've then got the low code. So they um, tie together really nicely. Yes, and I, I think I remember one of our customers saying for him, actually, with, with the RPA and low-code element, what it what it does is, and it's sort of value-add, is how it frees up his staff to do the more value-add work that needs to be done and, you know, lets them sort of upskill and, and leaves that more mundane, repetitive, and sometimes even prone to error work to, to the digital workers, the robots. It makes somebody's... Um work day a lot more interesting if they can focus on the bits that need their you know their their judgment and their skills to do as opposed to focusing on you know for example moving data from here to there or processes that yeah just don't don't need a human to do it yeah I mean in reality it all sounds great but I mean how does it actually work in practice is it quite simple to pick up do you need any sort of coding skills to to use sort of low code and RPA you don't have to be a coder. Our low-code solution, because it is low-code, not no-code, mm-hmm. um, means you can basically build any um, application that you want using the drag-and-drop interface. But if uh, we find there are also a lot of developers who use the platform, and, it, and it's an extra tool for them, and there is a code studio if there's a specific widget or something they want to build that they think would be more appropriate to build in, in, in code, then there is the code studio there, which basically removes the, the barriers, if you like, so the, the, there are no walls, so you can use the two together. But equally, if you don't have any development capability, then, it, then it's not necessary. You can build applications just with sort of drag and drop type um, interface. So like I say, as long as you understand process, then you can build the application. I mean, it sounds really exciting and, and powerful tool. What sort of early successes have we seen within the NHS? I know you mentioned Southampton as one, but are there any others that we're seeing in terms of, I guess, uh, trailblazers, really? So Cornwall um, have worked on a uh, mass test, COVID mass testing um, app, so that in the community, if you wanted to have your staff um, tested, then they could be sent a spit pot and then they can register that to their account and it comes back into the the lab and um, the whole process gets automated 
end to end. So they've been doing some really exciting things with it. And it's, it's at the stage now where um, it's great because every day we'll get a, a phone call. Someone else going, I've been thinking, could it help me with X, Y, Z? So, we, you know, we've been looking at the, um, the entire patient journey from um, referrals and then helping organisations cross the boundaries between the different provider trusts and going, actually, how do we um, work through this across the entire ICS region? So it, it's a tool that basically opens up those conversations to almost the art of the possible and going, right, what are you trying to achieve? And then working backwards to how we can use the tech to do it. It's a really exciting time. I was going to say, it's, it sounds really exciting, particularly the fact this the breadth of what it can do and, and help and sort of transform NHS trusts. And I guess really, the point of all this is to make a difference to staff's workload as well. You know, we hear in the news, uh, particularly this week, about in another winter for the NHS that's that's going to be quite difficult to um, to cope with, and particularly the staffs are really maxed out. And we want to, I guess, try and support them as much as possible in, in what we can offer. Yeah, absolutely. So there's definitely two sides. There's the, there's the patient side and the staff side. So um, any, anything we can do to make their lives easier and that's what we always say about design of these applications as well you you know you shouldn't have to have extensive training because if you uh, build and design it well it's totally intuitive and staff can just pick it up and use it and it just makes their um, day-to-day life so much easier absolutely where do you see it heading in terms of obviously low code and rpa it's sort of at its infancy but where do you see this this heading in the future I think it's going to become really crucial, actually. So we've seen it with um, RPA over the last few years. Initially, it was sort of not understood in the in the NHS, and now it's quite widely accepted and the benefits are being really realised. And I think low code's slightly behind in that journey. But again, it, those, those realisations are starting to happen. And whereas maybe a year, 18 months ago, when we were talking to people, a lot of people would be explaining what low code is to people, whereas now it's a lot more talking about, yeah, we understand what low code is. Let's talk about the use cases and how we use it. So I think it's going to become a lot more mainstream, particularly through, you know, the ICS restructure. There's so many challenges that are going to be unique to different areas that um, having a tool that allows you to build things to address your specific requirements, I think is going to be crucial. That's a really great point. And actually, maybe we could focus on the ICSs a bit more in terms of, I guess, what they are and and how, as you say, that can help, because it's essentially bringing together the the healthcare and social services sort of to, together and try and streamline services uh, and procurement activities. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So it's sort of um, regionalising areas. So bringing together all the different provider trusts so that things can be consistent across an area because a patient will, you know, very often have touch points with different parts of an area. So, you know, you'll have a GP interaction and then you'll be um, a patient at the acute trust, but then you might also be in the mental health trust. And at the moment, those things are all very segregated. So with the ICSs and, you know, like I say, including social care as well, which I think is really, really crucial, it pulls all those things together and I think allows for, you know, even greater levels of change and transformation than is possible at an um, individual trust level. And what do you think the biggest challenges to making that successful for the ICS is? I think, as you mentioned earlier, one of the biggest challenges is that the NHS is busier than ever doing their day job. And then yeah. this is an extra an extra thing, an extra challenge that needs to be addressed that has within its, you know, within its own right, a lot of um, challenges in itself. So that makes it a, a difficult thing to achieve. But, you know, the, I think the attitude we've seen to it um, and how people are 
really looking forward to the changes they can make. I think, um, you know, I think that amazing things will happen. Yeah, I mean, from from personal experience, having someone leaving hospital and trying to organise that sort of follow on social care element, it it was very difficult and dis, disjointed. So I can definitely see that there's there's a need for that, and often um, not only for the patient but the families, you know, sort of the emotional side of things, it, it's difficult to to see and deal with. So I think if you have a system where it's a lot more aligned, it flows with information for not only the patient but the family members. I think that that's only a, a positive thing. Um, really. Definitely, and I so, think being able to make those sort of iterative changes—that's the other thing. You don't have to start by a hundred percent knowing what the end goal will look like in five ten years time you know you can take an initial challenge and 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 fix that and then um, work out how that ties into other areas and then expand out from there so I think it's you know that's another really useful way of looking at it is looking at what you're trying to achieve but then sort of picking a starting point and having you know some quick wins and then then working out from there so you don't have to eat the elephant all in one go yeah start small aim big something like that yeah absolutely (laughs) You know, finally, as we sort of sum up, you know, low code and RPA, we're seeing it as a very uh, key thing in the NHS at the moment. But the NHS is obviously embracing digital transformation as much as it can at the moment in small ways, but in bigger steps over over time. But how do you see that evolving? Well, I think they've got quite a lot of challenges just with what they're taking on <laughs> yeah. at the moment with the ICS <laughs> change. I think seeing that settle down when the ICS is everything gets sort of formalised in April. I think that's going to spawn a lot of change. Um, And then I think there will be some really, really exciting projects about about bringing together the social care and healthcare elements. I think that's one of the most exciting things that will be coming up. Yeah, agreed. As we said, sort of, you know, align and optimise that that patient journey and have the holistic view of of the patient and not being so disjointed. Yeah, absolutely. And using the best resources where they're available at the best time. I think the ICS structure allows that to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Claire Rafferty, many thanks for talking to us today. I think that was really insightful. And um, we're looking forward to see what low code and RPA can do to uh, transform the hospitals going forward. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you.